evening and welcome to Be the Gift Connections. I'm Don Benjamin with Tennessee Donor Services. In recognition of August as National Minority Donor Awareness Month, we'll be exploring health care inequities that exist in our communities of color and how this impacts attitudes towards organ and tissue donation. Tonight, we'll be talking with two physicians about the challenges facing the black community when it comes to health care. And later in the program, we're going to learn about an exciting new partnership between Meharry Medical College and Tennessee Donor Services, working to increase diversity in the field of organ transplant. So let me introduce our first guest. Dr. Tiandra Love is an internal medicine specialist in Chattanooga. Uh, she is actively involved in health outreach in her community through her church and the Lynx organization. Dr. Cornelius Mance also joins us from Chattanooga. He is a neurologist and president of the Mountain City Medical Society, an organization that works for equality in medicine, elimination of health disparities, and the promotion of optimal health. I want to thank you both for joining us tonight. Thank you, Don, for having us. Now, Black Americans make up the largest group among people of color in the U.S. who are in need of a life-saving transplant. So this is the group that we're going to be focusing on primarily uh, during this program. Dr. Love, when it comes to medicine, our history in the U.S. is responsible for some of the disparities in our minority communities. Talk about the mistrust and in some cases, fear um, of our health system that still exists today. Thank you for that question, Don. When you talk about the mistrust, it goes back historically. We know when it came to access uh, in our in our communities, um, even when we were younger, you know, did people have access to care? Did they have? Um, were they able to afford it? Did did they have the resources? Did they have the education at the time? And then the studies that was done. We all know the Tuskegee study, and there's some more. Also, the uh, study too with the uh, the cervical cancer and finding the, the cure for that. And so it goes back deep, it goes back historically, and it starts in, it, uh, in, the, in our culture mm -hmm. and in our families mm -hmm. and things that we have seen or people have in their own um, way of living and their own way of life. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mance, what are some ways our healthcare system excludes the multicultural populations? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is what happens, I find now, is probably uh, insurance companies. Mm -hmm. The way the medical system is set up now, uh, and you think about Medicaid expansion, Medicaid expansion uh, when you have a group of people that decide to give away 5 to $10 billion a year and let uh, the money go, we'll lose the money. And then at the same time, uh, people who are coming to the hospitals now are injured, don't have the resources. And so when you have a system that's set up through that and actively laid on care, then that can be one of the issues. Uh, another thing can be is our system many times informing people or either there are means at which we have a tendency to do not get the information in time because mm -hmm. many patients would say I would do this but I didn't know but then you look back at the patient and said well why weren't you more informed and sometimes uh, how can you excite people to become uh, more intelligent 
about certain conditions and certain things that are available that they just don't know about. And there are many times for us, uh, we always have said that if you tell a lie, uh, you tell 15 people, if you tell the truth, you don't tell nobody. And so that's some of the things that uh, the system is kind of set up for uh, people not informed enough. Right. I'd like to get your both of your comments on this one. Uh, first, Dr. Love, we see disparities in all aspects of health care. Could you give us some examples uh, where you see it in like preventative care? I did outpatient medicine and um, we, as Dr. May has stated, lack of information. If I had a known that they were given free medications or I could get my medicine, certain medications from a certain, um, say, Walmart or Publix, I would not have stopped taking my medication. So lack of knowledge and being in the know is a, the biggest thing. Um, lack of resources. And then two, the physicians making sure they know where these resources are so they can direct their patients to where to have these resources. It affects every aspect uh, of what we do. And in primary care, we already have a primary care shortage of physicians. So that becomes another barrier as well. And so um, on the preventative side, information is key. And that's why I got involved in doing a lot of community outreach. It started when I was younger, what I saw, what I didn't want to have for myself and my family and friends and, and, and advocating and being that voice for those patients uh, in that community. Dr. Mance? Well, I think right now what has happened to us is that uh, there has been a loss of community. I always tell people today, if you talk, if you go someplace, what everyone is doing, they're on the cell phone and they just stroll into the cell phone. Uh, no one talking to each other. It used to be when I, when you go someplace, uh, everyone was talking to each other, laughing about each other, telling the good times, the bad times. Also said, did you hear about this and this? But if you don't talk, and there's a not mechanism by which you can turn the cell phone off, uh, then you basically can meet someone and they can know life-saving ideas. And many times it's very hard to break through that, that barrier of getting people to be able to stop and be able to tell about information that can be life-changing. And, and the other thing, too, is that uh, there has been disconnect respect to healthy choices. And that's one thing I find myself uh, running into is that when you start talking about someone about healthy choices, for some reason, like the, uh, I guess, it's like a deer in the headlight, they don't want to hear it or they or basically don't want to change to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so another thing we have to overcome is this inertia about change. And they are changed if they have enough information that can really make them desire to know something, to be able to know the how to change it. And many people, are they just don't know how. Uh, and we have to figure a way how we can communicate with people to get people to understand that. That kind of leads into my next question. You know, unfortunately, some patients get labeled as, as non-compliant, and that might be due to their financial situation or, you know, the environment that they come from. How does this affect their care, and how do we move to a place where doctors are more culturally competent? 
Well, one of the things for me is that I think people relate to people more likely like themselves. That's what you find is that if you have someone that you can relate to, uh, then uh, they will communicate better. Uh, but one of the things that happen to physicians or you probably have seen this, uh, when a person becomes a little more successful, a little more educated, uh, do they forget where they came from? Or can they reach back and relate to people? I'm always telling patients, and they have to remind me, is that uh, I've been trained and received education that allow me to be able to go to your level. I'm not asking you to come to my level. So if we as physicians do not go to the level of the patient, another question comes down to, if a person is not compliant, you may ask them why. What some of the hindrances are caused them. They may tell you, I have a sick husband. Like I saw a patient today. I have a husband who is who has uh, stage four cancer. Then that patient is more thinking about the loved one rather than themselves. So if you understand that, then you can basically relate to that patient. And also, uh, most of us as physicians, uh, we have probably a little sympathy, but not empathy. Sympathy means that it goes weary when you hear uh, non-compliant or somebody don't do something. If you have empathy, you can walk in their steps and realize, their footsteps and realize that they're just like you. You're not doing all you can do with your life. And But the thing is, what happened is that many times people is at, uh, they're at that level. Sometimes you can communicate better or they're more receptive to something. So sometimes it takes time. We have to stop giving up on people. And many times physicians will kind of give up on someone because they don't listen to them or either they feel that my way is the only way rather than understanding that if their culture and the way they are feeling about life uh, and the way they do things, it can be kind of hard for them to suddenly change. So you have to kind of move them slowly uh, and realize that if you can get, I always tell people, 80% is better than 50, 50 is better than 25, 25 better than nothing. But if you try to get 100%, you'll get frustrated. But many times we as physicians, we want people to jump in and do what we want right now. Mm-hmm. And we should have to be, we have to be more patient. And we have to remind ourselves that because we can't forget it because if you're doing it over and over again, you kind of get numb to what you should be doing. Good points. Uh, so let's look at the disparities that exist both on the organ donation side and on the transplant side of medicine. Uh, we're going to first look at donation. Right now, over 100,000 people are waiting for a life-saving transplant. 60% of the list of patients are from multicultural communities. Out of that, 28% are Black. Uh, In contrast, last year, only 17% were organ donors. Uh, So we've got a graphic specific actually to Tennessee, uh, contrasting the numbers on the waiting list and the number of people who have registered uh, to be donors. And there we see on the waiting list, uh, close to 3,000 people total are waiting in Tennessee for a life-saving transplant. And we see that 45% of those are um, patients who are Black. If we look at the Tennessee registry, we see that only 9% um, have actually registered to be an organ donor. 
What are some reasons that you think members of the black community are hesitant to sign up uh, to be organ donors? And what are some ways that we can remedy this? Uh, Don, this goes back okay. to mis, um, historical mistrust. Right. Mm -hmm. It goes back to lack of education and lack of knowledge, mm -hmm. um, lack of awareness, um, taking it to the people and educating them where they are. Um, it go, it still stems around all of this mm -hmm. and the fears that they have with donation. You know, I had a patient, they did not want to give their, well, the family did not want to give their loved ones uh, organs away because they felt like if they said it was okay, they wouldn't do what they needed to do to continue the life of the person, even though there was no life for the person. Mm -hmm. And so it all goes around to awareness, mm -hmm. education, um, mm -hmm. and addressing those fears and acknowledge that these things exist and how do we navigate through it? And mm -hmm. also tackling those still social determinants of health that plays into all of this. <laughs> Good points. Dr. Mance, did you have anything to add to that? Well, if you think historically, uh, the black churches probably uh, have been the driving forces with many of the changes within the city, within the United States. Uh, if you have a pastor who has a church of 500 people, if he has a buy-in, he more likely will have a fear of influence that will do that. But the problem is what happens is that you probably find there is a mistrust or a disconnect with respect to these pastors. Because I find every place I go to, I don't hear any pastor talking about organ donation or about the, the gift of life. Mm -hmm. And maybe something that uh, you all can basically think about. Mm -hmm. How can you get many of the African-American uh, pastors because you got a church on every corner in Chattanooga uh, at least you could impact uh, the church coroner, which is a whole group of black pastors. Maybe that could be an avenue by which you can uh, do. Mm -hmm. Another thing y'all can, can do is that many of the <clears throat> sororities and fraternities, uh, if you have a, uh, a liaison there that can continue to show this information, like this wait list and the registry, but also show the benefit of how many people can be can uh, be saved or uh, have a benefit from organs. But it has to be over and over again. And what you see here in America today, if you tell the truth over and over again, it might sink in. If you tell a lie over and over again, what happened? That sinks in too. So you have facts uh, that can show people that the benefit of organ transplant uh, uh, transportation. And if you can relate to people that way and said over and over again, not having a lot of information at one time, but have some PowerPoints that you can kind of give a little bit at a little bit. And maybe what happens that a person would say, yes, because sooner or later, you're going to have somebody in that community or that church or that uh, sorority fraternity who's going to benefit from a uh, transplant. Mm -hmm. Then you begin to see, oh, it's not what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the, Dr. Love was saying the distrust. Uh, and it has to be the trust would come by 
if you have people more like you who have bought into the process because all of us have a fear of influence that will affect certain people. Mm -hmm. All excellent points. So now let's look at the transplant side and we've got um, three facts that we wanted to show that impact uh, black Americans that are significant. Uh, transplant success rates increase when organs are matched between members of the same ethnic background. Multicultural populations have much higher rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, all of which increase the risk for kidney disease. Black Americans are more than three times as likely to have kidney failure compared to white Americans. Now, reports show that there are inequities when it comes to people of color getting a transplant. What are some of those and how do we change that? I'll start with Dr. Love. It goes back around um, Don addressing uh, those barriers. And um, as we talked about, how do we change that education, education, resources, and awareness? This is how we're going to address this. And we have to navigate those uh, things that were negative to address those things and lighten it as positive. Awareness is key. To be in the know is key. And I see this every day, whether I'm seeing patients in the hospital, whether I'm seeing them in the office, even when I'm doing a lot of community outreach is addressing and giving more information on donor services because we're we don't have enough information to be informed to make the correct decision so it goes back to awareness resources and education and involvement in our communities and organizations and take it to the people where they are because you can't assume if you're giving it over here in this circle that those people in that circle will have that information and so we have to take it, I keep saying, take it where they are, meet them where they are and address those issues and give education, information and resources and support. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mance, do you have anything to add? Well, I would go on one step further. I think one of the things too is relatability. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can relate or communication, uh, you can have all the facts you want to, but if you're not relatable, uh, there are people who basically you ask the question why you have uh, the mega churches who basically have a hundred thousand people that you know one pastor or ten people can't really help them very much, <laughs> but they are they are they are packed in. They are relating to something, so you have to be relatable. Uh, to speak on that at their level. And like Dr. Love was saying, make sure the information is available. But also, uh, we have a tendency sometimes when you uh, put information in a book, if it's very long, they won't read it. It has to be something that, uh, I guess you said, my wife always said, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> we have a tendency many times <laughs> Uh, uh, don't take that important. That as a fact, we have to do one thing at a time, over and over again, a little bit over and over again. And I think that's one of the things happen. But another thing too, if you think about this second fact, it says multicultural people have more high blood pressure, diabetes, and kidney failure and heart disease. Uh, for some reason, most people don't think it will happen to them, even though it's happened around them. Mm -hmm. So how do you basically continue to break that myth? that if you have high blood pressure, 
there are certain things that you have to do. Uh, and if you basically have this, you increase risk or your loved ones increase risk. And so people have to begin to find a reason big enough for them to say, I'm willing to do something. Uh, but it's, but the, one of the things, too, is getting people to put on their driver's license. Uh, they are donors. Uh, that, but the person to do that, it has to be something prick them that says, I think is a value to do it because we have people having accidents all the time and if they don't have on their, on their license, don't have that, then what happens? It That's opportunity to be missed. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a reason to, to really uh, relate to the black community, how important uh, this whole process of donor services is to really our, our overall benefit. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Love and, and Dr. Mance. We appreciate your insight into the inequities that exist in the black community and how we can address some of these challenges. Um, right now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be talking to students from Meharry Medical College about their project with Tennessee Donor Services to learn about career opportunities in the area of transplantation. Stay with us. I'm in the ministry. I pastor a church in a small town called Batesville, Mississippi. I was diagnosed with a rare heart disease. The donor's family and the gift of that young man given has given me my life back. Don't come up with the mindset that I'm going to take it with me. Because what you are taking, you can help someone else live on. What you give can save someone else's life. Not only do disparities exist in healthcare for our minority populations, but there is also a gap in the number of people of color who pursue a career in medicine. Black physicians are severely underrepresented in the specialties related to organ donation and transplantation. For example, only 5.5% of transplant surgeons and 7% of nephrologists are black. To address this issue, Meharry Medical College and Tennessee Donor Services have partnered to confront these inequities. This partnership is the first of its kind between historically black colleges and universities and organ procurement agencies. We're pleased to have Dr. Marty Sellers, organ recovery surgery surgeon with Tennessee Donor Services, who serves as an advisor to the students, along with the first group of Meharry students to complete the eight week course with us. Uh, I want to introduce our students now. Um, we have uh, Sam Adimasoye, Teresa Belladent, Austin Brown, Emmanuel Cody, Stacy Sutton, and Mikhail Thanawala. Welcome everyone. Uh, Dr. Sellers, wanna um, start with you and get you to tell us how the pilot program between Tennessee Donor Services and Meharry Medical College got started. Hi Don, thank you. Uh, it was started through a, um, a meeting between Jill Grandis, who is our corporate executive director and Dr. Hildreth, uh, the president of Meharry Medical College, and the theme of their, or the idea that they had was to hopefully expose more uh, Meharry students to opportunities in the field of uh, of transplant, and that includes transplant surgery, transplant, 
plant transplant nephrology, uh, et cetera. The, the section, uh, you know, the, the previous session on um, inequities, I think really from a biologic standpoint and transplant standpoint really um, uh, is more so in the kidney population. And, um, you know, kidney disease being um, more prevalent in the multicultural population, uh, as was mentioned, um, emphasizes the need for um, cultural competency in nephrology. And one of the ways to do that is to increase the um, number of people that are going into that field from the multicultural community, HBCUs like Meharry, um, and hopefully increase the um, or, or decrease the myths and increase the education that Dr. Love and Dr. Uh, Mance, you know, so nicely, um, you know, and indicated the importance of all that. The um, uh, discussions that were had along those lines to expose more um, students to opportunities in this field um, were sort of centered around shadowing and how can we get, you know, more time in front of the students in the classroom. The classroom curriculum is already pretty full. So that was um, that was discussed um, in the middle of all those discussions. We became aware of something called MSRE, which is which is an acronym that stands for Medical Student Research Experience. And that is a curriculum or that's a course in the first year of med school. Um, MSRE one is the course during the first year of medical school. Um, and that's didactic learning of what hypothesis-driven research means uh, or what that is. And then MSRE2, which is um, the sort of the lab component of that class. Uh, and that's where students from the first year will, uh, between their first and second year of school, will go to a, a program for eight weeks in the summer and complete a hypothesis-driven research project. And that was how um, this whole, uh, uh, you know, the the experience with the students uh, came about. Okay. How did you go about selecting the students? Well, we were helped by the process that exists at Meharry. Dr. Jermaine Davis is the uh, mentor, the medical advisor for, um, for that program. And um, I was invited to uh, come to Meharry and uh, went over there on uh, back in December to explain to the students what um, what our vision was for a program that, that we would uh, put together for them um, fully under, you know, um, being transparent with, we didn't have any track record to, uh, to go on other than what we had sort of envisioned for them to experience. One of which um, would be, I mean, the most important of which I guess would be really just to provide them with an opportunity to, uh, to um, complete a research project because that is, um, a requirement for graduation from medical school, but we hoped to combine that effort with exposure to uh, organ donation, uh, the OPO world, uh, as well as potential opportunities uh, in, in transplant. And uh, from that meeting, several students um, uh, chose to give us a chance to, um, you know, to be um, uh, to be the source of their research project. Now, our viewers may not be aware of the many jobs and people that it takes uh, to complete the organ donation process. Tell us about the shadowing process and what the students were exposed to. Well, they were exposed to, um, to the, from, the, from the beginning to the end. Not everyone got to see a, a transplant, but that's the end of the process. But the process starts 
uh, you know, many, many steps prior to that. Uh, you know, the, again, the end is someone gets a liver or a kidney or a heart at a transplant center. Um, the beginning of that process is actually um, outside the field of medicine. And that's where, uh, you know, you and your colleagues in external affairs uh, really, uh, you know, embark upon a public awareness campaign, uh, education to increase the number of people that actually sign up to be an organ donor uh, when they get their driver's license or online on the registry. Um, that only applies though to less than half of the population. So more than half the time that a donor is referred or a potential donor is referred from a hospital, um, we, the OPO, has to get authorization from the family or from the next of kin uh, for that person to become a donor. Uh, from that point, um, you know, once they're authorized to be a donor, then uh, the donor is managed in a way to hopefully maintain and optimize the organ quality for transplant. Um, then the organs are allocated or distributed to the, um, you know, to the appropriate recipients on the, the waiting list. Uh, the students got, got to see all components of that, uh, beginning with family uh, care team, uh, you know, getting authorization from, uh, from the next of kin, uh, managing the donor in, in the ICU, um, allocating, you know, finding a home for the heart, home for the liver, et cetera. Um, and then um, in the operating room, I mean, there were, there were a total of 37 uh, OR experiences for the students uh, during the summer. So I think they got a pretty good um, exposure to um, to the entire process. Okay, so let's bring uh, the students in. Um, and I wanted, my first question to, to you guys is, how much did you know about organ and tissue donation going into this project? Um, I'd say very little because I didn't know about all the requirements to even be an organ donor. Um, so I thought you die, and if you're an organ donor or if your family agrees, then you gain the organs. There's just so much that goes into, like, you have to die at the hospital, and there's there's certain criteria that you have to meet before you can even, like, get to that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know that an organization like CEF existed even. Organ procurement organizations were not even something I knew about. So that's, um, yeah, I know very little about it. Okay. Anyone else want to share? Yeah, I'll work off what Teresa said. Um, it was like very black and white. I just figured that you passed away and then you donated your organs. But through TDS, um, I did learn the intricacies of the process, how there's a wing that specializes in educating the hospital, a wing that specializes in talking to family donation, and they all come together to make the process a reality. Mm -hmm. Anyone else wanna share um, what they thought about organ donation prior to this? Yeah, I, I also knew very little. I thought it was just a matter of you indicate on your driver's license that you're a donor or you're not a donor, and that's it. But I didn't know there's other um, avenues and networks that you can use to register yourself as an organ donor, as well as uh, the intricacies that exist in terms of approaching families, but specifically next of kin, and um, <clears throat> making sure that you are a viable donor those specific clinical triggers in the hospitals. Yeah, TDS taught me a lot this summer. Okay. Um, so I'd like everyone to answer this question. Um, tell us about the, the job shadowing and what was the uh, what, some of the more memorable moments of that, what really um, impacted you? Why don't we start with Mikhail? <laughs> uh, hey, can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so I'd say uh, the most memorable 
uh, part of my job of the job shadowing experience was my first time uh, in the OR. Uh, a good way to sum up that experience would be that it's it was an extremely powerful moment. Um, uh, it'll always stand out to me uh, because uh, once it won, it was the first time uh, I have been shadowing in the OR, and uh, second of all, um, it brought a real sense of humanity and uh, realism, I guess is the right word, to the world of organization transplantation. Uh, before uh, we started chatting the R, I was working with the statistical data and doing the research, but definitely stepping in there brought a really real sense of it, a real, real sense to organ donation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, Stacy, what about you? Uh, yes, I have to agree with uh, Mikhail. Um, the operating room was kind of where some things came together for me. Um, I remember watching um, the recovery from, I think the young woman might've been like, the young child might've been like three years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, before that experience, I guess I wasn't aware of how emotional and dare I say kind of like spiritual, the whole thing can be if you let yourself go there. You know, I heard Dr. Uh, Mance um, kind of talking about how one way to to educate, you know, the black community is to kind of connect it to the whole, you know, church and the whole gospel um, idea. And honestly, what it showed me, it's it's a really a one to one comparison. I mean, this idea that somebody can be lifted from sickness and disease, dare I say death, back to life. But in order to do it, somebody else has to be willing to take on sickness and disease dare i say death right so it's right there um for for some pastor to be able to 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 to, to preach it you know hey organ donation is is the the parallels between the gospel are right there mm -hmm. um so anyway i think yeah for me uh the operating room for sure okay uh emmanuel um what uh stood out for you I agree with Mikhail and Stacy. For me, it gave me the perspective of uh, the person donating, because just doing research on organ donation, uh, you know, you don't. You, we see, we saw these donors as not to say it in a bad way, but they were statistics. They were just numbers. But seeing the donation in person made me realize, okay, this is a person, mm -hmm. and it also took away the fear of you know, an anxiety of just dealing with organ donation because this my this was my first time. So just mm -hmm. seeing that alone was it gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of uh just just will to actually go through with my career in family medicine and uh in anything i pursue because i feel like these people who are donating trusted us to you know just go through with this process and you know trusted dr sellers to perform this transplant so as as raw and as uh as hard as it was in the beginning i feel like it, it provided a lot of perspective for me austin Um, yeah, um, the job shadowing was impactful, I guess to say the least. So from the student standpoint, um, Dr. Sellers did a really good job of making us feel comfortable in the OR. For a lot of us, it was our first time. Um, so that was important to me. Um, and he made us feel like we belonged and he always let us be hand on, hands on in the OR. Um, but from the TDS perspective and being a researcher, um, kind of along the lines with what Mikhail and Stacey were saying, it was emotional. It was spiritual. Um, I think the most memorable moments or moments for me is when a TDS member would read the card about the patient um, that is donating their organs. 
and you learn about this patient, who they were as a person, what their favorite food was, and you know um, their favorite sports team. So it was very impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Teresa, um, I think outside of like the OR and seeing like the different parts of um, what employees do at TDS, I think the family, the families that came to talk to us about their um, their loved ones who donated, was one of the most impactful ones for me because I. Before I thought about death being like, this is the end, but I got to see people continue to have their loved ones' legacies um, continue on and talk about it. And I think that was like, to me, the most impactful. It was like, you don't, when you die, it doesn't have to be the end. You can help other people and your family gets to continue to talk about you through the things that you have done by the mm-hmm. organ. So that's good. Dr. Sellers, uh, the students were divided into three teams. What were the subjects uh, for their medical student research experience? The projects were all sort of um, in parallel or they aligned themselves nicely with the donation process. Uh, One of the, the, uh, I guess the most proximal part of the process would be authorization. And one of the, um, and I'm gonna call it a myth uh, because I think our data would show otherwise, but for the last 20 years or so, there's been um, uh, discussion among the communities, including critics of the OPO world, that uh, African-American families are not given the opportunity to donate uh, as often as they should. And the, based on the discussion we've had earlier, we know how important it is for African-Americans to, to donate because that uh, disproportionately helps the African-American population on the, on the waiting list. And what we... Um, looked at was the association between um, race and whether or not a hospital refers a potential donor for for transplant. And what our data showed were not only were African-Americans given um, uh, equal opportunity to be donors, they actually were more likely to be not missed uh, in terms of being referred. So African-Americans were more likely to be referred for potential uh, or potential African-American donors were more likely to be referred than non-African-Americans. Um, that was one project. Um, a, a, the second project, or the, the other two projects, had to do with timeliness of referral. And when a, a hospital recognizes that a um, donor or a, a patient is a potential donor, uh, they are supposed to call uh, the OPO with that uh, referral. And if that time, if that referral is done in time, uh, we questioned: Does that impact number one the likelihood that a family will agree to uh, to donate their loved one's organs? And number two, if they do, um, does that impact the number of organs transplanted from that donor? If and the, the theory was, or the hypothesis was, that if someone is uh, referred in a timely way, then we, the OPO, have an opportunity to to manage that donor in a way to either maintain their organs and or optimize the quality, uh, resuscitate them sometimes if they've had uh, in injury to the organs from whatever it was that caused their demise. If we have time to improve the organ function, then are we able to get more organs transplanted per donor? And what we found, um, we'll leave the details for hopefully in a, uh, in a pending publication, but what we found was that timely referral, number one, does increase the likelihood that a family will agree to consent. Um, and uh, number two, um, for those that do agree to consent, if they've been referred timely, we get more organs transplanted 
uh, per donor. So the takeaway from the, both of those two projects is that timeliness uh, of referral saves lives and actually lack of timeliness or being late referred actually costs lives because if we aren't able to get uh, authorization, obviously we don't have any organs to uh, to transplant and to save lives. And uh, even for those that we do, if they've not been referred timely, we don't get as many organs transplanted. So therefore people that otherwise would have been transplanted don't get transplanted and will die on the waiting list. So timeliness of referral was um, the um, was the uh, central component of two of the projects. And then the first project again was, is race associated with uh, whether or not a hospital will refer a patient, potential donor uh, for, uh, for donation. Okay. And for our students, I wanted to um, ask you, what was the most surprising thing that you discovered in your research or even in your field work? And um, I won't call on anyone. I'll just let you jump in as you will. Teresa and I worked on timely referral and organs transplanted for a donor. I, I had no idea about, uh, I didn't even understand what timely referral was when we started. And so to me, the, the whole experience was a surprise and understanding how, uh, how timely referral could increase the organs transplant, transplanted per donor made us, made me realize that, you know, there's a lot of things that could also go into saving more lives outside of having more donors. Okay, uh, somebody else? Uh, yeah, sure. Just how 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 uh, wide the gap is between um, you know organ organs needed and and potential donors. Mm -hmm. um, that graphic that you guys had up there earlier was even even after the time I've spent at Tennessee Donor Services was you know just very uh, um, gripping you know how it, alarming almost even right. So, um, yeah, just how wide the gap is. Does anyone else have uh, something that surprised them that they discovered? Yeah, um, I guess mine would have to do with the field work. We had a recipient come and speak to us. And what I didn't know at the time is um, how extreme the lives of those who are on the waiting list can be. I believe our recipient stated that she was on some machine that she had to plug into the wall. And if she was unplugged for more than 13 minutes, um, she could pass away. Um, so for me, that was jarring and it kind of showed the impact that donation can. Mm -hmm. Anyone else have a comment on this? All right, Dr. Sellers, what most impressed you about this group of students? <laughs> Um, well, first, they were extremely well prepared in terms of having gotten the basics of, um, you know, what a hypothesis driven re research project is. Um, obviously, the details and how to, um, you know, execute the plan and develop a null hypothesis um, and test that was what our responsibility was to show them. Um, so I guess, first of all, was they were very well prepared from uh, the MSRE one, you know, experience in the classroom, and um, I guess second would be their level of curiosity um, and willingness to to learn. I think you've sort of seen based on their responses how um, much they know now compared to what they um, knew at the beginning, and a lot of that is, um, you know, not really due to us as much as it was their 
curiosity and willingness to just to jump in and, and, um, and, and go with it and, you know, sort of get outside their comfort zone and, and learn things that they think, I think they um, weren't expecting to learn. Uh, but again, that goes back just to their level of curiosity. Um, and last, I guess, would just be their ability to, to get it. I mean, it was uh, what we discussed this summer and what we did was not simple. Um, and some of the concepts that, that they learned and, and mastered um, and will, I think, use going forward, um, you know, they, they, did it, they did it very well. So, I, so um, number one, their, their preparation uh, that the first year of, you know, in, in the classroom gave them, number two, their curiosity, which I think really probably, um, you know, emphasized what they or made, the, uh, made their summer uh, Maybe that was the most important part of the whole thing, and then then their ability just to um, to incorporate it all. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got one last question, and it's for our students. Um, how will this experience translate in your career as a physician? And let's start with Sam. Okay, can y'all hear me well now? Yes, perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> um, this experience has been great. Uh, it really showed me the importance of being diligent and real meticulous with everything that you do. And particularly as a physician, I feel like it will help me better advocate for my patients, uh, whether that be patients who can be potential donors or patients who are organ, um, who are waiting on the organ donor list. Just since I have all this information, I'm better equipped to educate people about the whole process and the intricacies that exist um, within organ donation and just making sure that people have a full picture of organ donation before they make decision as opposed to um, having lapses in their educations. Mm -hmm. Definitely increasing my ability to advocate is probably one of the biggest things I got out of this experience. Teresa? Um, I think for me, it will change the way I interact with patients, but also other people in the hospital. I say this because when the families came to talk to us, a lot of them remembered exactly what the doctor said to them when their loved one passed away and what nurse helped them, who like gave them information and how they were treated. It was very impactful because even a year later, they can recall exactly who said what to them. So I think I'll be a lot more mindful about how I interact with people when they're in that moment, that vulnerable state, and center their feelings and their emotions in that um, moment. And uh, when it comes to like talking to other people outside the hospital um, that are not patients, maybe people that um, I can support in any way. Like I've seen doctors help TDS a lot in terms of like helping them get access to things that they need. So I think even if it's not part of my job, I think I'll go out of my way to help even if it's not an organ booking organization, but other departments that might need something for me, because it does matter in the long run when you actually support um, other people, even if it has nothing to do with your job. Mm -hmm. Austin? Um, I think this will translate uh, my career as a physician um, because it, it has made me an ally for organ donation. Um, we were kind of told at the beginning of this process that not every hospital is comfortable with organ donation but because of this experience when i'm in a hospital when i'm working i'll make sure that i advocate for a donation and advocate for tds emmanuel uh so it's helped me see medicine from a broader scope sorry i dropped that in the chat on accident um but it helped me see a different perspective like i said 
without this program, I wouldn't, even as a family practitioner, I don't think I would have seen the, the, um, the potential of organ donation to save lives, especially in um, under, underserved communities where people die of, uh, of just terminal, terminal illnesses that cost a lot of money and people can't afford that. So if, if there's more education and hopefully as I progress through my career and as all, all of us progress through our careers, we become champions of champions supporting the cause of organ donation. We could help a lot, a lot more people just be healed of their diseases through organ donation. Stacy. Yeah, sorry about the delay. Um, yes, uh, for me, I think uh, the idea that no man is an island um, is what I'm going to take with me into the rest of my life. I already kind of was aware of that concept, but I just was really able to see how, um, like my actions impact those around me. You know, I saw, you know, Dr. Seller's skill set able to, uh, his ability to, you know, harvest the, uh, or, or, you know, recover the organs or whatnot. Um, and, and they talked to us about how, like, depending on how you do it, if you do it well enough, then it helps the next guy when he's trying to insert them into somebody. So it's just, and obviously, you know, the, the organ donors, um, as far as like watching that sacrifice or whatnot. So just the idea that no man is an island, everything that we do is felt by those around us. Mm -hmm. uh, as a physician, I feel like that will, uh, that idea will come in handy. Macau. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so coming out of this program, I have learned so, so much about organ donation and transplantation uh, and the processes behind it. And I really hope uh, to use this information when I'm going along, continuing along in my career as a physician, uh, to use my experiences at TDS to educate uh, my patients and also advocate, advocate for organ donation. Well, it sounds like from, from talking to all of you that we have six future donation champions. Um, this has been a groundbreaking partnership and we're excited to see more students of color be exposed to the world of donation and transplantation. Thank you, Dr. Sellers, and thank you students for sharing your experience. We wish all of you the best as you embark on your career in medicine. Take care. And thank you for joining us. Donation and transplantation continue to offer more people a second chance at life, but there's still work to be done to close the gap between the number on the waiting list and the rate of donation and transplantation when it comes to our multicultural communities. We hope our program tonight has been both educational and inspirational. You may have been hesitant about registering to be a donor. If you've changed your mind, we hope you'll take a few minutes to document your decision. Simply go to bethegifttoday.com to sign up and then talk to your family about your wishes. Remember, we all have the power to donate life. Have a good evening. <laughs>